0: Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast, Hiring for What's Next. In each episode, we'll meet people at the forefront of hiring. In this series, we'll talk about hiring maturity, which is how companies move through different stages as they get better at hiring. Greenhouse president and co-founder John Strauss sits down with talent leaders to discuss their hiring maturity journeys. We'll hear how they did it and what they're focusing on now to be ready to hire for what's next for their companies. They'll share advice to help your team get better at hiring. And now, let's pass it over to John.
1: Hi there, this is John Strauss, president and co-founder of Greenhouse Software. Uh, Today on the podcast, we have Aaron Wilson from Team.ai, among other places. Aaron, welcome. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Maybe for folks who who don't know you or don't know Team.ai, tell us what you do and maybe also give a little bit of your background, because I know you have have an interesting background of using Greenhouse at lots of different places.
2: Uh, Well, to the point, Team.ai is a tech-enabled talent organization, and we deliver talent. That's pretty straightforward. We work with customers, both small startups and enterprise, and we deliver uh, what I consider a non-traditional solution to an age-old problem, hiring. Um, We use people, systems, and process design, plus great technology like Greenhouse uh, to deliver the right talent at the right level to our customers at the right time. And uh, myself, I'm a recruiter. Um, I fell into and eventually fell in love with recruiting Thirteen or fourteen years ago, uh, through staffing, um, but quickly fell in love with the idea of building teams and and watching organizations grow, and then sort of the rest is history.
1: And tell me some of the places that I, that you've traveled in your journey. Well, mostly
2: through the lens of tech recruiting, I've had uh, the good fortune to work with um, a wide variety of organizations. Um, you know, back in the early days, getting to work with companies like Specific Media a Rubicon project um, down in Southern California, did work through the agency up here in the Bay Area, which eventually landed me at a company called Brightroll, which is a video advertising company. Um, We had some fun scaling that for a few years. Eventually it was acquired by Yahoo. um, So I got to go play around at one of the top five internet companies, work on large scale global systems, compliance, uh, sourcing. Um, And then since then, really, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with, uh, several brands, um, many have either scaled to public or exit, uh, and I'll stay away from, from the list here, but <laughs> all and sizes, John, yeah, and yeah. Uh, fun every time.
1: That's, well, I guess that's why I, I really wanted to have you on here, because I know you've seen so many different companies of different shapes and sizes, different levels of maturity, and had this experience of like, hey, success in scaling a startup I means success in scaling recruiting it's not just what a single recruiter can do with their own tools and techniques. It's about how do you build the infrastructure to like scale a whole machine. And you're one of the people I think of as like done this over and over again at lots of different places. So maybe, maybe start from the beginning, like when, like, uh, and you don't have to name the people. Um, tell me some horror stories. I love those.
2: Yeah. Oh man. Uh, battle scars. We, we were talking about this. I got a lot of battle scars, um, uh, and I think it's fun to talk about it unnamed because they're they're common problems, you know, which is part of the reasons I get so excited about about the way Greenhouse works. Um, but you know, it's really common. You walk into a to a company that um, you know has this uh, dire need for talent. Um, they really need to hire and grow, um, and they know they need that very badly, um, but they don't understand much deeper than that within the function. Um, so a lot of times you know you're walking into to this demand to just deliver talent uh on day one and consistently, but there's very little understanding around the concept of say structured hiring um or the idea of candidate experience beyond the buzzword and um you know, so I think the war story I would give you is it's the same story in every company um you know when we walk in it's this hunger for innovation. It's this hunger for velocity before we have landed basic implementation. And, you know, so that's the part that's, you know, probably the worst story, but also where the fun comes in.
1: Did you think there's like a, there's like an unlearning bit you have to do where companies, especially going to some company and they're growing. And so they have all this need, which by definition means they're having some success. Um, But a lot of the things that have given them success are actually things that are going to hold them back. And you kind of have to unlearn the way you've been working and actually say, no, no, we're going to step back and implement some process that would have seemed crazy when you're 50 people, but is really bad not to have at 300 people.
2: That's right. And, and actually, there's a book out there, but um, there's a phrase from the book called what got you here won't get you there. And I, I think about it so often, um, you know, we walk into these companies and they've done a phenomenal job growing from zero to 10 or zero to 30 based on their network and a spreadsheet. And, um, you know, now they want to scale up 5X or 10X and and they hope the same effort will get them there. And um, and we know it won't, you know? And so that's where, again, uh, you know, Greenhouse has been really helpful to talk about the structured interviewing. Um, Going back to those war stories, you know, it's not uncommon for us to walk into a company and have them say, um, hey, here's a spreadsheet with hundreds of candidates on it um that we've interviewed or that we're interviewing. Uh, and by the way we want to hire 30 people in the next 6 months. Um and just the simple math of what it would take if they continued moving at the same pace and efficiency uh is impossible, right? And it's a simple concept that we get to sit down and have with companies that open, they they get open-minded to the new solution, um you know, to using the technology,
1: the structure. So so start there, like what like when you walk into that situation because because imagine lots of people walk into that situation, right? Where you go in and you're like, oh yeah, the way you've been working isn't going to work. It's a mess. There's kind of unrealistic expectations. There's all this pressure to like, oh, start interviewing people, start making offers. And you have to say, well, no, hold on a second. We're going to do some other things first. How how does that go? Like, where do you you start with that conversation? Um, How do you make that argument?
2: Yeah, well, I think the first time I said that I got fired, John, I don't even... I don't, I don't know, but, you know, when, when a customer is telling you, um, I want something, and I want it now, I think the last thing we can say is you can't have it and you have to wait. But, you know, you, you're right in the sense that if we just keep pouring water into a leaky bucket, it'll just keep leaking, uh, right? And so we, we do have to balance the, the infrastructure with the talent delivery. We use the analogy uh, changing tires while driving the car, and uh, we use it all the time. Uh, John, because that's sort of our mentality. Once we get into a customer, we cannot stop the car. We cannot slow it down even. Uh, you know The customer wants to get somewhere. Um, our job is to come in and, and leverage all the things we've talked about to help them get there more efficiently and more effectively.
1: Yeah, I think that's really, uh, that's a common thing is that you have to keep, you got to keep the car moving. You got to keep doing things to kind of build the credibility that they don't panic and say, wait, why aren't we doing things? But you need to create space. Also to like build the things, you know, you're going to have to build to actually scale. How do you create that space without getting fired?
2: Well, I think, you know, there's a couple of things that I've learned over the years. One is, um, you know, asking people for priorities is a simple ask, Um, not always simple to execute, but mission critical, you know? So, okay, let's all focus on the business needs that matter most. And let's build this new model, right? Because we got you here, won't get you there. So this is something new. Let's build the new model around something small. We'll call it an MVP of jobs, if you will. Um, So that's one thing that's helped a lot. You know, the other is just explaining that we also want to move as fast as, as you possibly want to, you know, as the hiring team and, but as experts, you know, as the mechanics on the car, we also understand what needs to be in place to go fast. And so just slowing down and having that conversation, you know, validating, Hey, we understand you want to go somewhere fast. We do too. Here's how we're going to get there. And I think, you know, and the recruiting industry is getting better at this, but we have to be mindful of the fact that talent is our expertise, not our partners. And we need to slow down and and spend time in that discussion. Um, even if the urgency is around delivery, 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 you know, all the time.
1: How about can you, I mean, I kind of want to ask like two stories of like, give me a, a hiring manager or a business leader that you're working with, where we you're able to get them to buy into that, and kind of what happened next versus one where you couldn't. Um, but maybe start with the first one. is like, tell me about a time that it actually worked.
2: I mean, it works often. Uh, not to, not to be cheeky, but you know, it usually happens um, either early, John. So you know, the the first set of hiring managers that we work with typically. Tend to be very responsive because they're feeling the pain the most. Um, so, you know, we sat down with one hiring manager. Um, their previous data said uh, that they were interviewing uh, 47 unique candidates at a hiring manager interview stage to hire one candidate. And um, within two and a half months, we had gotten it down to 10 uh, hiring manager interviews to hire one candidate. And so for that hiring manager, that's what we call converted. They're never going back because they just got, you know, three and a half to four X back in time per hire. And so if you're talking about uh, a functional leader, like a, a engineering leader or product leader or sales leader, and you tell them, what if I could give you three times the amount of time you have right now to go do your job and build your team? It's, it's a pretty short conversation. Um, so I think you have that And the inverse, like you asked, um, you know, worked with a manager who asked us to come in and um, after a few weeks of work, was surprised that we hadn't done any work. And the, and the funny story I'll tell you, uh, John, is, is we, had quali- we had interviewed 65 people in that time frame, and they felt like we had not done any work. And um, what I realized when they said you haven't done any work was uh, we haven't done what they expected us to do, which was sit and review a bunch of resumes uh with them in a box right and and then decide who to interview as opposed to using a structured iterative process one that maybe say greenhouse would facilitate right and leverage that data and so you know i think those the good is when you get when you train the trainer and it works and you see that ripple effect Um, and the bad for me is when you see the behavior that you know won't work and they do it anyways and, and I've learned there's just not much we can do, you know, some hiring managers want to build teams and, and some do not.
1: It's, I mean, there's a theme in there where, like, if the hiring manager doesn't fundamentally trust the process and trust their other interviewers, um, they're like, I have to do it myself. And so they have to review every resume themselves and they have to do every interview themselves. And of course, that doesn't scale at all. So you end up having to do 35 interviews for each hire. And when it shifts and they actually see, oh, wait. I can train, like I can have you do the initial interview and I can have these other people do interviews and they'll actually like ask the right questions and test for the right things. And so by the time it gets to me, I meet five candidates at the end and they're all good because they all passed the various assessments to get to me. It's like, oh, that's insane. And, and it takes people a while to get that sometimes.
2: Well, absolutely. And, I, you know, again, John, we try to lead with data, you know, on my team and, Transparency, collaboration and data. And they're the three values we talk about all the time. You know, I love resume review. I love this discussion. Um, hey, we know on average a hiring manager might talk to 25 or 47, in this case, people to hire someone. We generally believe that number can be, be between six and 10 at scale and be really healthy. But the way you get there isn't by reviewing each resume, right? The way you get there is, hey, as a talent person, I'm going to pre-qualify people and I'm going to set up hiring manager interviews for you because I understand how the data works. Do me a favor. When you log into your calendar every day, take the interviews. When you get out of the interview, give me constructive feedback. Let's do a 360. Okay, after we calibrate a bit, that's going to be a well-oiled machine. You open your calendars every day. You do your hiring manager interviews. You record your scorecard in Greenhouse. The process moves forward. You go on about your day. And that idea is so foreign to hiring managers uh, to start, John, because the, the idea of not reviewing the resume feels crippling to them, right? Like you said, and then it only takes a week or two before they they ask us to never go back, right, to that right. idea I'm like, man, I could just talk to qualified people.
1: That's what I said. It's, it takes like one cycle, right? It's like it's like you get to end the end and you do your, you know, your final huddle where you make your decision. And you realize, oh wow, I didn't meet. You know, a third as many people as I as I used to meet, and I still have like really good data in front of me, and I'm confident I'm making a good decision. And It's not based on my own X-ray vision of spending 20 minutes with somebody and convinced that I know who to hire. The whole team actually like played a part here. I'm going to make a much more informed decision. And once Correct. they get plus there, plus that cascades, yeah, uh, to right? your, to your hiring teams, right? Because now if you're the
2: hiring team, well, if your hiring manager was doing 47 to generate one hire, then as a hiring team, you were probably doing 15 or 20 final interviews to generate a hire and um, and as an interviewer i'm tired and i have other work to do and i'm going to start making less quality decisions uh based on that and you know if you can come to me as a panelist and say hey for every three or five or six final interviews we do we're going to hire someone then my engagement my motivation week over week to participate in those number of interviews remains high because that that roi is there
1: I also wonder if um, sometimes when it's like that and, like, you, and there's not a clear view of the process and you're just doing tons of interviews and you can't get anybody hired, you end up optimizing for like, who do I think everyone else will say yes to so we can like make a hire and be done with this instead of who do I think would be amazing? And so you end up kind of getting to um, maybe some average thing that like you're optimizing for who you think other people will say yes to versus like who could potentially be great in this role.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we say that often when, you know, the idea of structured hiring has been discussed but not implemented. And, you know, I'm really pushing people to cross the finish line, get the competency-based interviews modeled out, stored in greenhouse, and used in the interview kits. You know, um, there's no silver bullet in hiring, but structured interviewing is as close as it gets.
1: Yeah, it's... I mean, we we see the data, right? You can see individual teams, even within companies, um, where they figure it out. And suddenly everybody realizes, oh, I know what my role is. And I know exactly how to do this interview and why I'm going to fill out a scorecard quickly. And we're going to make decisions. And like everything goes faster and smoother. And you see companies where like, they didn't get everybody to do it. They didn't buy in. And nobody fills out scorecards. You can, say, you can go ask the recruiter and like, oh yeah, they're miserable. The whole thing's going terribly. It's like, yeah. Like, how do you get them over the initial hurdle?
2: Well, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And unfortunately for those organizations, they can follow that data through their retention data and see similar trends. Um, And, you know, the more hiring you do um, tied to structured hiring, the lower your attrition rate will be. Um, We have data that backs it up for going back for years now. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of reasons to do it, but whether you're hiring the best person or retaining them longer, they're all good reasons.
1: That's right. That's right. How, in in terms of the different competencies of how to get great at hiring, do you find structured interviewing is playbook one, like play one in the playbook that you're like, let's go do this. Do you find that's, um, is it around data? If I can show you the right data, you can get people to behave differently. Is it around candidate experience or is it just, you have to kind of see what's the current pain point at that company of like, what's the right place to start?
2: That's actually a
1: great question, John.
2: Um, it is, its you know, it's something that we see is structure uh, and competency-based interviews. These topics are like like vegetables to the customer, right? Um, and you know, who did I hire this week? How many people have I hired? Um, how much activity is there around my brand? That's like the candy, you know. So, I'm never really in a hurry to give them the vegetables, but I will say that you can't. You have, to, you have to eat your vegetables, right? So we have to have that discussion. I think to your point, the, the first thing we talk about usually is data. We talk about data literacy. You know, we talk about, um, hey, there are a couple metrics there are a couple data points that are going to be very important to this relationship, that being that between the talent and the hiring team a- and the candidate experience, right? There's three of them. There's three personas in there. And, and if we cannot communicate using some set of data, then what are we talking about? Um, you know, we have to be honest about what's happening. We have to be able to diagnose things and then measure change, success. And it has to be an iterative process and that all comes back to the data. So generally the structured interviewing is second class compared to, um, are we aligned on our goals and are we aligned on how we communicate whether we're successful or not, which all comes back to
1: that data. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you see? And how are you seeing DE&I filtered in? I think we're seeing a little bit that people are, because there's more of an urgency to say, I gotta do something. And actually a great first place to start is structured interviewing that and it creates more urgency to, to let people, it suddenly turns this kind of vegetable type thing into a, a piece of candy where it's like, no, actually this is the right thing to do for that as well. So I, I love that
2: sentiment. I wanna be supportive. I'm like, yes, John, that, that is how it should be.
1: Hasn't um, happened yet, no. <laughs> but
2: we're not quite there. I, let me, I'm like uh, words of encouragement, we're getting there, right? There's some strong forcing functions in the world today that are making it happen sooner which is great but it's still the flavor of the month in terms of of the customer right we we are hearing it early on in the discussions you know uh, everybody wants to make sure we know that it's important um but and and to some extent rightfully so you know it sort of drifts away once once these engagements start because they're just focused on square one like can we show up to an interview you know um, but it never fails. The conversation comes back up again once hiring is flowing. You know, if they brought it up in the beginning, they are genuinely interested in it. It's just a fleeting priority, you know. So right now, we're really working on with the organizations is, hey, we heard you and we believe it's an organ- uh, a priority. It-, it is for us at Team AI. You know, we want it to be for all of our customers and it is. And but that doesn't come without further discussion, you know, in each company, D&I does not mean the same thing. Um, we really have to slow down and break it down. It doesn't mean the same depending on the country you're in, depending on the team you're building, depending on your current state. So that's the part where we've started to invest more time with our customers just saying, hey, glad you care about it. So do we. It's a longitudinal problem. So let's not try to solve it overnight, but let's be really clear about what we're working on this week, this month, this quarter with respect to DNI, and let us be really clear about how we're going to measure it where is that data living? How are we reviewing it? Uh, so on and so forth. Um, so that's you know, so I'm happy to hear the conversation there.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. It's, it's, um, I just get nervous when people want to make it just a sourcing issue and say, it's, ah, it's just about the top of the funnel and how are we going to source differently? And they say, that just, that's one thing, but you know, it goes it's way beyond that, right?
2: Uh, so that's, I mean, your preface almost answered the question for me too, honestly. It's like, you know, that DNI is always related to top of funnel and um and i would just come back to structured interviewing solves a lot of problems yeah you know? and
1: <laughs> we have the data it's not just the top of the floor yeah. problem right <laughs> that's right well the, the, i think the important
2: call here john is structured interviewing builds diverse teams without artificial intervention artificial intervention is not bad when we're trying to solve a systemic problem i don't believe that however i think if we err solely on artificial intervention we don't get the authentic solution that we need so for me structured interviewing is that gateway Um, when you're interviewing someone based on the level of the role and the competencies required for that role whether they went to Stanford or not becomes less relevant what they were paid last or not becomes less relevant Uh, and inherently we can hire people into roles that they perform equivalent to and pay them commensurate for those roles regardless of their background and therein lies a more diverse team in the end
1: well, I'm looking forward to expanding on that in just a moment, but first, let's take a quick break. Want to find out how effective your company is at hiring? Then you're ready to take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment at Greenhouse.io HMA. After you take the assessment, we'll send you specific ideas and strategies to help you take your company to the next level of hiring. Take the free five-minute assessment today at Greenhouse.io HMA. To get ahead in the highly competitive race to hire engineers, Your team needs a tech hiring strategy that is based on evidence, not assumption. Codility's tech hiring platform helps your team predict the real-life engineering skills of your candidates at scale. Front end to mobile, DevOps to application security, Codility brings you and your candidates the best hiring experience to separate the great from the good and seamlessly integrates with Greenhouse so your TA team is kept in the loop. All this means quicker time to hire and a reduction in bias, while giving your engineers more time to solve the problems that matter. To learn more, go to codility.com. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. Uh, I I want to pivot now and talk about, um, you know, when you look into the future, especially when you're working with companies who are maybe higher up on that maturity curve. Maybe you've worked with them for a bit. They've started doing the basics. They've gotten off the mat they're doing structured interviewing. What's the higher order stuff that you're that you're uh, aspiring with people to get to?
2: Uh, well, let's come back to DNI. You know, because that's at the top of the list. So once once you get once we get the basic uh, infrastructure in place, we're very excited right now working on some, you know, cutting-edge DNI initiatives with customers who are committed uh, to the initiative, both in terms of people and money. Um, and so, and what I mean by that is working on systemic solutions. You know, how do you weave in DNI as a strategy, not as a reactionary initiative? Um, and so, that's one area we're really, really excited about. Um, I think the second area is just um, around cadence and how do you actually create a sustainable or elastic talent function, one that doesn't feel like you're constantly um, in in a rise or a fall based on relatively known headcount behaviors. Like um, some quarters are are, uh, bigger hiring quarters than others. Some seasons are bigger than others. Um, Some teams cannot be built until other teams are built. There's lots of dependencies um, that when you weave that in with structured interviewing and some data, um, turns out you can be a proactive function in terms of talent and, and you can really be more strategic. So we're, we're working on that with our customers. Um, and those are probably the two big ones just to start, you know, how do we do more of it um, more consistently? How do we do it iteratively? And how do we, how do we do it with an authentic bent on D&I? Uh,
1: neat. Can we, can we go to the second one a little bit? I'm curious to hear like how, how do you do that? Are you engaging beyond recruiting and getting to like the CFO and saying, okay, like what what's the seasonal trends of the business, or how do you how do you kind of elicit that from the company to build strategies that kind of grow and expand as as you need?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, to the answer to your question regarding the CFO, but you know, I think as we think about talent, um, again, trying to get it get out of it as a linear mindset, you know, like hey, we're we are hiring these people for a reason. And let's talk about it um but in terms of iterative process could be a few things right um we're starting to track employee lifetime value for our customers so we can understand um what that looks like in any in any given quarter which um it could be based on decisions they're making uh you know which is great um you know we're working on um headcount reconciliation uh mean like can we actually hire this for this role right now or not It's crazy to to say, John, but the idea of a single source of truth in these companies where everyone can look and say, should we hire someone or not for this role based on our headcount and our budget and our plans, it it just doesn't really exist uh, out there at large. And so we spent a lot of time with folks building that out at a custom basis. Um, I
1: believe it. It's it's amazing like that, the kind of triumphant between finance and HR and recruiting of like, how many people are we actually supposed to be hiring? Is everybody on the same page with that is actually a far more complex problem that people realize and ends up with no one sure how many orals we're supposed to open right now.
2: That's right. Um, So, you know, we're, I think that's, that's something we talk about. And then two, just thinking ahead based on how we operate cross-functionally, you know, for example, um, hey, if we, if we, as a customer, we have headcount plans for an entire year, you know, so we work deeply with our customers and if we know you wanna build your security team out three quarters from now, well, we have a team of experts and we know that that's gonna take quite some time. So, you know, hey, let's start building um, a community up. Let's start doing some work with content, right? A lot of talent branding, content marketing work right now. Hey, let's start getting this slow rolling effort so that when it comes time to build that team, it's not all about sourcing and then it's not a reactionary ask of why the sourcing isn't diverse enough. And then, right? And then so on and so forth. And um, the customers are just really responsive. You know, I think it's, as a talent person, um, whether it's how you use Greenhouse or just talking to these customers, being thoughtful about their business on their behalf goes yeah. a long way.
1: Well, that's, and to me, that's a perfect example of like a high maturity thing. Like for the companies who are just in firefighting mode and just trying to get candidates in the door and offers out the door and keep ahead of scheduled interviews. And you're just, you know, fighting the fire each day. The ability to step back and say, "Well, actually, let's make an annual plan based on the seasonality of our business," sounds completely foreign and crazy. And Well,
2: and actually, you hit on a. Oh, sorry, yeah. go take.
1: But like, is you know, when you say it, it's like, well, obviously, we should be doing that, and you realize, like, oh, this is the point of like getting up the maturity curve—is you can think of higher ordered things and get way more proactive.
2: Well, I mean that's right, and you just hit on another hot topic, which is offers, right? And it's. I mean, when you first ask me, what are you working on? I don't spit out offers because it's part of the workflow, right? But in the, in the marketplace, it's actually a big deal right now. I mean, you know, how do you make sure that as a company, you're making the right offer? Is it competitive? Is it fair? Is it equitable? Is it taking into consideration your current staff? Is it taking into consideration the three teams you need to build next quarter? Um, and the answer is no, generally speaking, because the company is just growing and just got there, right. This is a new experience for them. So, you know, we're working with our customers a lot to understand uh, more of a data exchange out in the marketplace. So we have access to a lot of data. We have great partners like you, John. And so if our customers are making offers, they want to know, Hey, what percentile are we in out in the market? Why is our offer acceptance rate that high, that low in that group or this region? and really tying it back to compensation and um, total compensation in general.
1: Yeah, no, that uh, totally makes sense. I think it's only gotten more complex as more companies are hiring remote and trying to figure out what do you pay people around the country? I mean, it just gets more and more complex. Wait, we have to wrap up with time because time's going. So we're gonna, and we're gonna do a lightning round. All right. Are you ready for the lightning round? Let's go. Here we go, okay. Your favorite HR tech tool other than Greenhouse? Uh,
2: other than Greenhouse, uh, Compass. They do uh, pay transparency and, and equality analytics.
1: Neat. Yeah, good one.
2: Uh, C-O-M-P-A dot A-S,
1: Compass. Yeah, yeah, That's a good tip. Um, biggest mistake you'll never make again?
2: I will never expect a, um, a hiring manager or a customer to care as much about talent as, as the recruiters care about talent.
1: Oh, interesting. How about biggest mistake you'll definitely make again?
2: Um, I will expect hiring managers and customers to care about talent as as much as the recruiters care about talent.
1: (laughs) There you go. How about um, a piece of advice for somebody who's becoming a head of recruiting for the first time?
2: Tagline, don't work hard to fill jobs, work strategically to build a company. Uh, Sub bullet, get really comfortable with data. Um, it helps you manage everything. I was not comfortable with data when I fell into recruiting, recruiting leadership. I had to get really comfortable with it. Sometimes it shows you you're not doing a good job either, and you can improve. Um, but I would just say get comfortable with data it's your best friend.
1: Yeah, there's a great there's a great point in there. It's like if, uh, the thing that got you the role is because you were an awesome recruiter. And so they said, oh, let's promote you and make you the manager. And so your temptation is to recruit harder. And that's like a totally failing thing to do is like you have to step out of that, right? That's right. There's that, um, what got you here won't get you there thing again. Started and ended with that. How about last one? Tell me about a hire or maybe it's a, a company or something a hire you're most proud of.
2: Um, I got two of these. Um, one is uh, the hire I'm most proud of is Katie Bishop. Um, I hired her. She was the first recruiter I hired at Brightroll. She had worked at Google for about six months early in her career. Our first coffee, when we sat down, she said, um, just so you know, I'm not leaving Google. And, um, and she was killing it over there. She didn't have a reason to. Um, but three weeks later, she started with me at BrightRoll. That story was fun. She went on to um, join Stripe very early, lead tech recruiting for them. She just filled out APAC recruiting for them. And now she's in Europe. She's I'm so proud. Uh, so that's probably one. Um, two, really quickly, um, a little startup I worked with way back when called Sky High Networks was basically three founders. And um, they asked me to find uh, like their CTO or co-founding CTO. And um, I ended up finding someone, putting them there. It was one of those scenarios where no one had ever heard of anyone. So there's just a lot of trust going on with the recruitment effort there. And that person joined, scaled them up for three and a half years to a $500 million exit. And, um, And to this day, I'm very close with that person. And they're running three groups at one of the top five internet companies. And I just love those stories where, you know, way back when that wasn't the story. This is where we've all grown to. Uh, but those are two of my favorites.
1: That's awesome because you see the impact that you made. That's super neat. Um, well, I guess that's a great place to, to stop. So thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing uh, your journey through the hiring maturity world with us. Thanks, Aaron.
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me, John. As always, it's a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Hiring Maturity Success Stories on the Greenhouse podcast, Hiring for What's Next. Wondering how to start optimizing your own company's hiring? Take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment now at greenhouse.io HMA. Don't miss a moment of hiring for what's next. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the latest episodes.